0: Pray together, please. God of great beauty, God of great mystery, God present in the broken places of life. This particular context for communing with you, for listening for your voice, is uh, unique among our weak. The space, these songs, this ritual, and yet it can shape and reform all that we are and do if only we are willing. So this day, we don't invoke your presence so much as we ask for your kind and gentle nudge to open those places in our lives where we need to hear you and respond to you and be transformed by your love. So, be with us as we think together, as we daydream, as we uh, renew our baptisms, as we walk forth from this place. In the name of the one always with us, Christ the Lord. Amen. I've been thinking this week about identity. Who am I and who are you? So much of our life energy is spent on finding and defining and refining and announcing and then defending our identity. You thought this morning you were just getting dressed for church, but in fact you were making an identity statement by the clothes you wear, the choices of clothes you you, uh, purchased. We make statements that reflect our identity and the news station we watch or the entertainment we participate in or the decisions we make or the groups that we're part of or the things we consume, they all reflect our identity. And I'm aware that it's not just among the adolescents that identity is in flux. Any office interaction where you live and work and go to school, any place that where people are gathered reveals Our our self-understanding and our security or insecurity in our identity that's always, always in flux depends on the day. It depends on the time. It depends on the angle. I've used before the familiar parable of the blind man holding the different parts of the elephant one holds the trunk, one holds a side, one holds a leg, one holds the the, the the trunk or the tail, and each one argues for their own particular perspective. They all see in their mind the elephant differently. But what I wonder today is if we 're not the elephant, and if we aren 't the ones that have varying ways of seeing and presenting ourselves. And our identity, so much depends upon how we see ourselves and how we present ourselves. It informs our actions, informs our reactions. So how is it even determined? Is who you are what you do? Or what you think? Or is there some... More primal and given sense of our identity. And what if, what if who we are isn't who we think ourselves to be? Then what? I've been thinking about identity this week because of this Baptism of the Lord Sunday, the Sunday after Epiphany, when we read from one of the Gospels the story of Jesus' baptism. Luke tells us Jesus is 30 years old, so he's been through nine-tenths of his life, he's done many things, but here he goes to his cousin John, who's been out in the wilderness baptizing people for the repentance of sin, in other words, to say by their actions that they're sorry and that they want to turn their lives toward God. And then, without warning and really without any kind of explanation, Jesus is baptized. Luke doesn't tell us much. He's really focused more on John at this point. Jesus doesn't sit down and say, Now, here's going to be the meaning of my baptism, but there's clearly a different tone, a different purpose. He's not saying, I'm sorry. He's not conforming to the other people. He's not being hazed by the other people in the group. Some people think of baptism as a form of hazing. Jesus' baptism seems to be at the moment when he says yes to who he is, fully identified and immersed in the story of God that is calling him, calling him out. From his life from the past 30 years, perhaps he was a fine carpenter. We don't know, but now we know. From this baptism forward, he is going to embrace and be identified by this life of God that is bigger than he is. And so he hears these words from the heavens. You are my son, the beloved. In you I am well pleased. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates it in the message. You are my son, chosen and marked by my love, pride of my life. But this morning we're here not just to talk about Jesus' baptism. We're here to talk about our baptism. For the story of Jesus and the life of faith and our weekly gathering in this place is not simply to recite history about what happened 2,000 years ago, but rather it is about what you and I do and how we see ourselves, how we identify ourselves and how we are identified in our own baptism. You know we have this tradition. We Fill the hot tub with water. We dunk people under it. It's the scene of many, many funny stories that I've told from this pulpit in times past. But we know also about the images of dying and rising, about cleansing and new birth. But at its core, baptism is about our identification with God this great mystery of life and this heart of love that we are saying in our baptism, we see this God on our side, on our side, with us and for us. We're identifying with God. We're identifying with God's son, Jesus, who we are saying is our way and our guide, not only into these waters of baptism, but into the whole story of God in this day and in this time, which will require new ways of seeing and living and being the church together. And not only God and Jesus, but this Holy Spirit, this presence Who brings us together and brings peace to us amid storms and fire and water. Who is always there with us and for us. And yet our baptism is not just our action. Not just what we say. Not just what we do in that experience. But it's rather what is done to us. We are identified. You might say we're outed for who we really are. We are God's beloved, marked by God's love, the pride of God's life. And once we know that, well, everything changes. Our steps are clarified, our convictions are crystallized, our choices are sharpened, or at least they're supposed to be, right? I heard Tony Campolo speak this week at Georgetown College. Campolo's this combination of Don Rickles and a black preacher in, in an Italian body. Uh, he's uproariously funny, but he drives home the point of the gospel. He said to the young people that day, you've got to decide where your citizenship lies. It's really a question of identity. You've got to decide whether you're going to be a part a citizen of Babylon or a citizen of the kingdom of God? The choice is yours. Which one do you identify with? Are you identified with the world that the dominant social culture tells you to be part of? Or are you going to be identified with the way that Jesus has shown you to live and be? Are you going to be part of a, of a citizenship that's marked by competition and fear, and violence, and self-centeredness, or are you going to be part of a citizenship that's marked by community, and creativity, and courage, and reconciliation? Campolo said, the choice is is yours. And I realize as he said that, he's not talking about religion. I realize we're here today in this beautiful and sacred space, and we are using these Traditions and rituals that are uh, have been handed down to us in the past. But we're not just talking about religion. We're talking about the identity of our lives. Who are you? Who are we? And here's the weird part. The choice, whether baptism or saying yes to Jesus... In a way, it's not completely our choice. For you see, we've been identified already. We are already God's children. The question is, will we be who we are? When I was a teenager in Kettering, Ohio, my life was... uh, not on the trajectory to be a Baptist pastor. Let's just say it that way. (laughs) I took a little walk on the wild side, and through my teen years, my parents were infinitely patient with me. We lived in a small house, so there was only really one door you could go out on a Friday night, and my parents sat in the living room watching television, and I was getting ready to go out and Let's just say do some things that they would not be proud of. And so I always tried to get out the door when they were really into a television show. But inevitably, they would look up and say to me, Joe, don't forget where you live. Now, there was a part of me that knew, of course, that they weren't being literal. They didn't mean... Don't forget you live at 1117 Willowdale Avenue between Marshall Avenue and Ackerman Boulevard. I knew that they were talking about the fact that I represented our home. That there was a sense in which when I went out, I went out on behalf of the family. So don't forget where you live. And I hated it when they said that. I always felt so guilty because I knew what I was going to be doing. What I wish I had heard then, that I know was true, but I just missed it, was when my parents said to me, Don't forget where you live, that I also would hear in that admonition, You have a home, you are loved. And there's nothing you can do that will make us stop loving you. You are ours, you were chosen, and you are the pride of our lives. And I wonder today, how when we leave this place, if it were possible for there to be some echo in your mind that said to you and me as we went through the trials and tribulations and challenges and temptations and even when death knocks on the door of our lives if we could hear again and again don't forget where you live you're my beloved daughter you're my beloved son marked by my love the pride of my life how would our living How would our entire orientation be different if we would be identified for who, in fact, we truly are? I notice in the Gospel of Luke that after Jesus is baptized, Luke takes a small digression. In fact, he kind of hits the pause button in the story of Jesus in order to report to the reader Jesus' genealogy, where he came from. About 20, 30 years ago, I guess now, I, I got interested in my own genealogy, my own family history. Where where did I come from? Who, who are my people? I was pretty certain that I was related to Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or somebody important. I mean, Terry was related, is related to Francis Scott Key. I needed something to sort of pump up my bona fide, so who am I? I knew my dad, of course, William Phelps, and his dad, Herbert Phelps. And I learned from them that my great-grandfather was a man named Millard Matthias Phelps. So I started there. Knew he was born in Harrison Township, Ohio. And so I went to the Ohio records and found the microfilm for that particular county. Back to 1890, I scrolled and scrolled until I found an E. Phelps. And I thought, E. Phelps? Was that his name, E.? Or was he just too lazy to fill out the form? Or did he have some really weird name? I, my mind just kind of raced because I saw under his name. Now, wait, is that a W or an M? It's either Millard, my grand, great-grandfather, but it really looks more like Willard. So I was, I was stuck. I, I, I couldn't get back any further than that. When Luke tells Jesus genealogy, he does a couple of things differently than Matthew did. Matthew takes a little different course in telling uh, the descendants. But the other thing that Matthew does is that Matthew stops at Abraham. That's a long way back. But he stops at Abraham. Luke goes a different direction. And when he gets to Abraham... He says, Abraham, son of Terah, son of Nahor, on down to son of Noah, son of Lamech, on down to son of Methuselah, son of Enoch, on down to son of Seth, son of Adam, who was the son of God. Jesus is in the lineage of God. Whether or not you take the genealogy to be literally true, it is deeply true. But here's the mystery that came to me as I looked at Jesus' genealogy. Were I someday, again, to pick up my own genealogy and get past E. Phelps? Or were you to pick up your genealogy and trace it back and back and back, at some point, it would link up with other stories. And at the end of it, it would say, Who was the son of Seth? Who was the son of Adam? Who was the son of of God? We remember that great musical, The Lion King, where the young cub Simba runs away from home because he's been both uh, shamed and accused He grows up not as a lion, but he hangs out with a meerkat and a warthog. They have a great time. They are hakuna matata-ing all over the place until one day Simba sees his father Mufasa in the stars and a voice comes to him who says, Simba, you need to remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. Now, that remembering who he was was not simply so that he could gloat or pull rank on other people or have certain special privileges. His remembering who he was was in order that, identified as the king, he could live and serve and restore the kingdom to what it was supposed to be. In our baptism... Whether we remember it or not, whether we remember the details of who handed us the towel and what was said over us, you and I were identified for who we are. We're the children of God, sons and daughters marked by God's love, the pride of God's life. And we say that so that we can represent and celebrate with great confidence So that what God wants done in the world can be done through us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done where? On earth. As in heaven. Remember who you are. And don't forget where you live. Let's pray together. Identified in baptism as your children, O God. We gather this day and know that we need to reboot our faith, rekindle the fire within us, and allow us to be more fully as individuals and as a community of faith, your faithful, identified people. Give us the great humility that comes with being your child, along with the great hope and the great honor. May we be able, with great confidence, to go through the fiery times, the deep waters, and all that the new days will bring to us with complete confidence in your Son, our Savior, our brother Jesus, amen.